coronavirus to make us look for a new place. And this seems like what you want for us. And, and we're just so thankful for how, you're, how, how you have used your good authority over all these things to, 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 to work good for us. We trust that you will be glorified and we want to use this space for your glory. So we even pray over it now, God, would you, would you allow, would you inspire, would you work in your people to use this spot for the kind of ministry that would, uh, that would awaken not only our hearts, but the hearts of our friends in Corvallis to the good news of the gospel. The good news that the one who had all authority laid it down for us, gave up his life for us. We praise you for your authority, God. And, and authority can be a hard word, and it's often used really badly in marriages and in workplaces and in governments. But, but we know that you, in your good kindness, have given authority. We pray that we would see your, your goodness at work through authority. God, we, we pray for those in our congregation that have authority in some way, maybe either as an employer or as a teacher, may, maybe as someone who watches children or, or mothers or, 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 or just general workers in, in, our, in our midst who have people underneath their authority. We ask that you would bless them, help them to use that authority, help them to lay their lives down for those under their authority. So that we can, with David, pray and praise you that when someone uses power justly, it's like the springtime is here. It's like, it's like everything is right in the world. And we know, uh, we know that there is still sin here and everything is not right with the world. But because, because of Jesus' promise to make all things new, we, we trust that it, it is going to be made right. And it is being made right. The people before us, the, together with us, sitting next to us, are evidence that, that you are claiming people out and making things right by your gospel. Father, I, I pray for the preaching of your word this morning, that it would go forth in, in power, and that you, Spirit of God, would, would be among us. God, would, would you work inside of us, opening our hearts to you? God, thank you for being vulnerable with us. You, you showed us and given us everything we need in your word. You've, you've laid yourself bare for us, and in, in so doing, your word lays us bare. So lay us bare this morning, and then heal us, we pray. We pray that you would do this, not just for us, but by the gospel. Would you be working among the churches here in Corvallis? God, would you allow the gospel to be preached in other places besides our church? We thank you that the kingdom's big, your authority is broad, it reigns over all. And there are other churches that are, are coming under your reign, even here. We pray for Hub City and, and Albany. We ask that you would be with them as they preach the gospel and live out the mission you have for them to make disciples of all nations. We ask you to give them success and revival. God, we pray that you would, would, would move among the churches here, even uh, Living Springs, that you would be with them as they 
learn how to meet together again and, and come under the preaching of, of your word. And I ask that you uh, would make the proclamation of your gospel clear and successful, Lord. God, let us be awakened to your glory, the glory of your goodness. And I pray, oh, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our soon coming king. And may the zeal of the Lord of hosts perform all these things. Amen. You can make your way to Mark 11, uh, verse 27. We'll just do a short passage this morning. When Bridget and I uh, were first married, I worked at Federal Express. Many of you know that. Uh, all of you know it now. Um, and I worked, uh, I worked for uh, the senior manager of this, the station. His name was Spencer Hansen. And Spencer was a very nice Mormon guy. Uh, maybe one of the best managers I ever worked for. He was missing a part of two fingers on his right hand and he lost it chopping wood um, Spencer was a really good manager and one of the reasons he was a good manager is because he used his authority to empower his workers through positive reinforcement and rewards uh, I, I do not remember him losing his temper as a manager I, I'm sure he did maybe at times but uh, and I knew that if I submitted to Spencer's authority, I would not regret working there. And not only that, but I would be rewarded for doing good work. In the book of Mark, we have seen God's good authority throughout. You know, it was actually in David's Davies' sermon one year ago that the, the, the theme of authority was introduced to us in Mark chapter 1. This grand theme of authority, uh, Jesus displayed his authority, first of all, by working a miracle. Uh, his first miracle was an in Mark was an exorcism of a demon. He was teaching in a synagogue and a man came up who, was, uh, who had an unclean spirit and was interrupting Jesus' teaching, and, and Jesus cast out this unclean spirit. And the people were amazed, and they said, do you remember what they said? What is this? A new teaching with authority. A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And God broke into the mess of this world with good authority, with the good authority of Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember, his authority combated sin. It, uh, it, it released people from demons. It healed the broken. And it brought in the outcast. But this good authority was opposed almost as soon as it was used. It was opposed first by Satan in the temptation. You see that in Mark chapter 1. But it was also opposed by the religious people of the day. People just like you and me. Coming to church. Worshiping God. It, his authority was opposed. And you can look at chapter 2. Uh, Jesus is about to heal a man who's been paralyzed. He has no use of probably his legs. He's, he has to get around by other people helping him. And Jesus is about to heal this man in the synagogue, and the scribes 
challenge him. And this man, he's not only, he's, he's not only paralyzed, but he, Jesus is about to give him a two-for-one deal, right? He's not only going to heal him, he's going to forgive his sins. And Jesus does the more important thing first he, than even healing his body. He forgives the man's sins. He, he says, I, I will forgive your sins. And the scribes, probably out of jealousy, because of his authoritative teaching, they explain that this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point, right? Verse 10, Jesus tells them, that's, this is the whole point. Just so you know, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he tells this man to rise, take up his bed, and walk. Go home. Jesus uses this good authority to forgive sins, to turn worship back to God, and he heals those broken by sin. And because he does this, the Jews seek to destroy him. They join this, uh, this cabal, right? The religious people and, and, and the politicians called the Herodians, they, they join together uh, to conspire to destroy Jesus. And now we are in the last week of Jesus' life. The third day of the Passion Week. This Passion Week where Christians celebrate the, the suffering of Jesus. And Mark 11, 27 through 30, 33, we're in the, in the third day of this. And Jesus has another run-in with religious elites. So in our text this morning, we see him confronting unbelief with good authority. We see Jesus confronting unbelief with good authority. And what I think he wants us to conclude from this is not only that the Sanhedrin, you know, those religious elite people that we like to judge, not only should they have submitted to his authority, but we should submit to his authority. We also should submit to his good authority and be saved. That's the conclusion we're driving to. So if, if you don't get anything else, get that. Mark 11, 27 through 33, hear the word of the Lord. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But we shall say from man. They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So in this passage, we see Jesus' authority confronting unbelief. And it happens in four stages. Jesus' authority questioned, John's authority upheld, religion's authority condemned, and Jesus' authority withheld. 
So four stages that we are going to see Jesus confronting the religious elite's authority. And as we do so, we'll see him confront our authority. Number one, Jesus' authority question. John's authority upheld. Religion's authority condemned. And Jesus' authority withheld. Verses 27 through 28 is Jesus' authority question. The chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, or, or the elders, not the Pharisees, they, they make up what is known as the Sanhedrin. There's, this is council in uh, re- religious matters. They, they're religious tribunal made up of 71 people, and, 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 and they, held, they held council in order to determine religious matters for the community. And, importantly, to keep peace between Rome and the Jewish nation. And it's probably not all 71 of them, but just a smaller delegation of them shows up. And they confront Jesus after he's had his episode in the temple. And they question him. And their main concern was uh, most likely had to do with what Jesus had done in the temple the previous day. But uh, because he had driven out the money changers and he had made a mess of the place. So uh, their concern is... They don't want to know so much that he did it. They don't, they don't care so much that he did it. They do. But they care more about what authority and whose authority he did it by. We notice that in their question of Jesus. By what authority have you done this? Or by whose authority? They ask the question not because they want the truth, but because they want a reason to destroy Jesus. The religious people want to destroy Jesus because he has a different kind of authority than they do. Jesus had authority in himself to forgive sins. The rabbis, their their only authority was quoting other rabbis, uh, other religious texts, uh, other people's opinions. You know, like having the hot take of the day. That That was the rabbis. The religious people wanted to destroy Jesus because of this conflict of authority. But Jesus could forgive sins. He could wreck the temple because he was God. Are you guys a little uncomfortable with Jesus at times, right? Going in and just knocking stuff over, calling people out. It's because he has authority in himself. He was God. He, he, he taught not as the ones that relied on other opinions. He was the one who relied on God alone. And this, this conflicted with the religious elites of the day and their supposed authority that they had, right? They had built up a, a power base among the people uh, because, of their, because of their position and their strongly held opinions, uh, and the people had to submit to them. It was, it was maybe much like the, 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 the Roman church in Martin Luther's day that were uh, holding their authority over people in a, in a, in a way that uh, made them suspicious of, uh, of authority. Friends, this should, we should take a lesson from this. Christian, take a lesson from Jesus here. We have no authority apart from the word of God. This is what made Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry so powerful. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor turned pastor in Wales and in England. I'm reading uh, his two-volume biography right now. Thanks, Davey, for uh, that. And uh, the thing that made Lloyd-Jones' ministry so powerful was not so much that he was a great pastor, not so much that he was a great preacher or had great rhetoric, but it was that he had a conviction that this was God's word and everything said in it mattered for people. These are God's holy words. It's one of the reasons I say this. Every time I read the scriptures is I hold the Bible up and tell you this is the word of the Lord. Because my opinions don't matter. Anything I say from this pulpit when I preach, if it conflicts with God's word, throw it out and confront me about it, friends. We have no authority except Jesus Christ and his revealed word. And Martin Lloyd-Jones in the early 1900s, though he was a gifted logician, there's a documentary about him called Logic on Fire, and it was, it was just that. His logic would catch fire, and it would empower the church to do great things, and, and many conversions happened. But the Bible, his conviction was that the Bible was the word of God and had authority in itself, just like Paul. You don't need to dress it up with fancy rhetoric. Just like Spurgeon, all that was needed was to preach the word of God. And when you do so, it's like letting a lion out of its cage. You don't need to defend the lion. You just let it go. This is why at the branch, we are devoted to word and prayer ministry. Because we have no authority apart from God and his word. Parents, it could be. Maybe this is one of the reasons we have so much trouble in disciplining our children. Because we discipline them in our own authority and fail to point our children to, the, to God's good authority. And Christian friend, maybe this is why you struggle in your evangelism. Because you trust more in the power of persuasion or your friendship than you do in the authority of Jesus and the gospel. Or, or maybe, friend, you were here and you were questioning Jesus' good authority in your life because it's pushing up against self-rule and autonomy. There's only room for one king. You, you cannot rule yourself and be ruled by Christ at the same time. So we must ask ourselves the question, are we like the Sanhedrin, questioning Jesus' good authority? Ask yourself, why? Is it because you want to break outside? You want to break this outside authority over you? You want to break free from it? If that's true, then you must answer the next question, the one that Jesus poses back to the Pharisees. So they question his authority, and then... Jesus puts a question back to them. And in so doing, in verses 29 and 30, he upholds John's good authority. John's authority upheld in 29 and 30. Jesus uses a standard tactic in rabbinic debates. That is, he, he answers their question with a question. Have you ever been struck by Jesus doing that in the Bible? Uh, you know, answering a question with a question, it seems like an evasion. 
But it's actually not. It was a common tactic in rabbinic debates. But what, what wasn't so common was this demand of Jesus. He, he actually, he puts out his authority even, even more strongly in his demand. He says, answer me. He demands an answer of these people. It's decision time for the religious elites. It's decision time for them. And maybe it's decision time for you this morning. He makes his answer to their question contingent on their answer to him. I'll answer your question if you answer mine. He says, answer me twice. So the Sanhedrin have basically said to Jesus, who do you think you are? Right? That's the question. He questions their authority. Who do you think you are? You, do you have any right to do this in the temple? Davey answered for us, that for us last week. Yes, he does. And Jesus gives them an implicit answer in his question. And, and you as a reader are supposed to pick up on this. You're supposed to slow down and, and pick up on Jesus' answer to the question. In verse 30 is both an answer to the question and a means for anyone in that group to express faith in him. So a positive answer to Jesus' question, was John's baptism from heaven or from man, a positive answer to that would have been expressing faith. It would have been showing at least signs of faith. So how is that the case? John's baptism, Jesus brings up John's baptism, excuse me, not as a way to confuse them or you or the reader or to trap them. It is a way to testify to his authority. He's tying the, the authority thing all, all the way together. From chapter 1 to chapter 11, we've seen Jesus use his good authority. And, and, and if you wondered, you should go back to Jesus' baptism and ask, if Jesus has authority, where does he get it? Go back to his baptism. John's baptism, do you remember, was a baptism of repentance. He came baptizing people. A sign that people were turning back to God was John, the forerunner, was, was baptizing people. All the while, his whole mission, John's whole mission, was to point to the Messiah. Do you remember what he said? That his sandal straps, I'm not even worthy to unclasp or clasp his sandal straps. There's one coming after me that, will, will, that is greater than I am. And he will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And John's baptism of Jesus is where Jesus received his authority to do what he was doing. And what, was, what he was doing was pointing worship back to himself. So in Mark 1, 9 through 11, in Jesus' baptism, Mark tells us, in those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. In this event, Mark shows us who gave Jesus his authority and why he gave it. Jesus' authority was given by God himself. 
the heavens were torn open. This is a sign in the Old Testament that God is breaking into the world. It's the day of the, it's a sign of the day of the Lord. God is breaking into the world and he's about to do something. The spirit descends on Jesus. And the voice from heaven of God the Father booms in approval of what every human longs to hear. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. So if you want to know where Jesus got his authority, you need to look no further than his baptism. And that's what Jesus is saying. Where do I get my authority? I get it from God because I am God. And as man... He received his, his authority because God was well pleased with him. So the delegation has their answer. And so do you. John's baptism of Jesus shows us who Jesus really was all along. The question is, did we know it and that is why we believed? Or did we believe and that is why we know it? So Anselm says, in juxtaposition to, to this saying, I think, so that I, I may believe, he juxtaposes that with, I believe, in order that I may understand. Friends, we must not think ourselves better than the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin didn't just need more knowledge. They didn't need Jesus to just tell them that he, he was God. They needed their eyes opened. And if you believe that Jesus is God and can save you from your sins, it's because God has opened your eyes to the authoritative son of God and man. That's when we understand. We believe in order to understand. If you're saying, I have to figure out this whole Christianity thing, I have to figure out all the antinomies, I have to figure out uh, everything uh, that doesn't make sense to me before I can believe, you are just fooling yourself. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The understanding will come. Friends, I'm not saying take a leap in the dark. I'm not saying we shouldn't use our mind to wrestle through these things. I, I, I'm not saying Jesus is even asking you to do that. What I'm saying is faith is the priority and faith is, is, is what the Sanhedrin didn't have. And you must ask yourself, do you? The Sanhedrin was left with a decision to make. Was John's baptism from heaven? And what, what Mark is saying here is, what Jesus is saying here is, was ba John's baptism from God or from man? If Jesus, friend, if Jesus can be explained the way of man, if Jesus can simply be explained as being from man, so if John's baptism can be explained as from man, why would you want to follow Jesus? He, Jesus is claiming divinity here. Jesus is claiming that he is the son of God. He is God of very God. And either he is God or he is a liar. And if he's a liar, why do you call him good? Why are you playing at Christianity? 
there's a decision, there's a dividing line here for us, friends, just like there was for the Sanhedrin. If John's baptism was from God, then his judgment on the temple and the cleansing of it was right and proper. It was the right thing to do. As one commentator asks, do you think, basically asking the Sanhedrin, do you think God was behind John's mission or not? John's mission was to point to Jesus as the Messiah. Was, was God behind it or not? If he wasn't, Jesus isn't God, and he, he's not worthy of being followed. If you do not believe that this is God's word, why waste time with it, friends? But if it is God's word, then it has demands on us, doesn't it? It, it demands something of us. And the first thing it demands of us is faith and repentance. So what is your answer? It's decision time. You can no longer be on the fence about these things. Maybe you have grown up in the church all your life, and you've never really believed. Jesus is calling. Maybe you're questioning all the claims to, uh, that Jesus makes about himself, or that the Bible makes on him, and the demands that it has on you. Jesus is saying it's, it's decision time decision time if the bible is true then there really is good news jesus is god's savior sent into the world to bring you back to god and i know some of us are so suspicious of authority because it's been abused in our lives we've had bad authority figures in our lives and you may wonder even if Jesus' authority is good because of your present circumstance or because you're suffering hardship. Jesus holds on to John's baptism as proof that he has authority from God and he is good. He has authority to direct worship back to himself. So what decision will you make about that authority? What decision will the council make? The third point, religion's authority condemned in verses 31 through 33. That council, uh, they, the Sanhedrin go into executive session, as it were, and discuss Jesus' claim. Is, is John's baptism from man or from God? And the Sanhedrin, they need to discuss this together. Their little delegation needs to, to gather up, to have a standing meeting and, and discuss. And Jesus has brilliantly painted them into a corner. So I must make a decision. Pleading the fifth is, uh, <laughs> pleading the fifth will only confirm their guilt, right? Jesus is not being mean. He is not being, you know, uh, authoritative and, and showing that, uh, but he is being authoritative and showing that we, can, we cannot be indecisive at this point. You can't be indecisive about him forever. He is long-suffering and full of patience, but he is also perfectly righteous and will demand a decision from you and from me. So the council discusses their options. You know, that word for discussion is, is used seven times in the book of Mark. And it's, it's always used of people who are trying to evade the force of Jesus' words or claim on them. So options are on the table. And they say, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe in him? But if we say from man, and it, 
and the text is a little awkward here because it just breaks off. It is, they don't answer that question. But if we say from man, almost as if they know they're wrong and they don't want to say it out loud. They, they don't want to say it's from heaven because they don't want to give Jesus more authority than he already has. They don't want to say it's from man because they fear man. They fear the, the power grab that they feel like Jesus is taking. They feared man because the people believed John was a prophet and they were already losing popularity because of Jesus' authority. This inner dialogue among the council members, it may reflect your inner dialogue about Jesus. If I say he is who he says he is, I won't be able to sleep with my girlfriend tonight. If I say that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the king of the universe, I have to stop cheating on my taxes. I, I might have to make things right with my parents. But parents, you may have to apologize to your kids. There are consequences for saying that Jesus is God and king. It really matters. The Sanhedrin knew it. And Jesus tells them in, in Luke chapter 7, verses 28 through 30, um, he, he says this. Luke says, I tell you among those born of, um, of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. If you, like the Sanhedrin, are saying that John's baptism is from man, that Jesus is not God, you are rejecting God's purposes for yourself. The Sanhedrin, they're rejecting, the Pharisees are rejecting God's purposes for themselves in John's baptism. What are they rejecting? They're rejecting repentance of sin and the life that comes from it. In their non-answer to Jesus, they were choosing sides, right? So in your, if we don't give an answer, we say we don't know, if we're agnostic, you're, you're actually choosing a side. Saying we don't know was saying we refuse your authority over us. And they knew, but they didn't know, right? They knew, but they didn't know. They had the knowledge of God in their conscience. Romans 1 tells us that we all do, but they refused to believe. They refused to acknowledge it. They did not understand because they did not believe. Choices before you, dear friend. Christian and non-Christian alike, the choice is before you. Will I live like Jesus is king over my life? Will I live like he's king in my free time? Will I live like he's king in my workplace? Will I live like he's king in the choices I make about my family or my entertainment? Will I live like he's king? Will you acknowledge Jesus' authority over you or will you reject it? In rejecting Jesus' authority, the religious authorities were condemned. Friends, religion cannot lead you to God. Coming to church does not lead you to God. 
even doing great Christian things. Even things like casting out demons. There are people that came before Jesus, uh, will come before Jesus, and uh, will say, hey, I did uh, many marvelous things in your name. We even cast out demons, and Jesus will say, I, I never knew you. Why? Because they didn't acknowledge Jesus as the king and God of the universe. And what will Jesus do then? Is what he does to the Sanhedrin. He withholds his authority. Lastly, in 33b, Jesus' authority is withheld. He says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Friends, the worst thing that can happen to a person is for God to withhold himself from them and give them what their sinful heart desires. Romans 1 explains this in verses 24, 25, and 28. God gives irreligious people up to their own lusts. He gives them, in verse 25, he gives them up to dishonorable passions. In verse 28, he gives them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The worst thing God can do to you is to give you up to what you want. In Romans 2, he tells us, hey, you know, we could sit here and be like, that's right. And then Paul talks to us and says, uh, you are also condemned, religious person, because you, in judging them, are doing the same things as the sexually immoral. And they will not escape, escape God's judgment because they do the same thing. God judges people by giving them exactly what they want. Have you ever thought about that with Pharaoh? Right? He hardened his own heart. But God hardened his heart. God was giving Pharaoh exactly what he wanted. I'm not saying there's not mystery there, but that's, this is exactly what happens. And friend, I, I'm begging you to think about who Jesus Christ is. And if you have not bowed the knee to him in submission, bow the knee to him. He's the king of the universe, and he's coming back in judgment. And also to take his children to be with him. But Jesus withholds his good authority and so withholds his goodness from the Sanhedrin, from the council. But friend, this is not the end of the story. In withholding authority, he condemns himself to the cross for sinners. It is this council that is going to condemn him and bring him before Pilate. And, and before Pilate, he is going to be scourged and, and questioned and have a, a kangaroo court. And, and, and he will be condemned to die. And the crowds will, will cry out, crucify him. Just in a few days. Jesus, withholding his authority from these people, has condemned himself to death. So, friend, instead of standing in judgment over religious hypocrites, we must see ourselves as the religious hypocrites. We are the ones who have rejected the authority of God and long to see him dead. But Jesus came with all authority, with all good authority, and, 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 and given to him by God, all authority in heaven and on earth. And what did he do with that authority? How did he use it? He used it to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. He became the substitute for those who rejected his authority. He died in their place. He died in your place. This is good news, friends. Those of us who, who, who are suspicious of authority or trying to cast off Jesus' authority, Jesus is saying, 
He's, he's, it's the greatest power inversion ever to happen. The one with the most authority laid it down to serve you. This is why he could say the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What good and kind God this is. This is good news, friends. Though your sins be as scarlet, he can wash them whiter than snow. Submit yourself to his authority. Repent. Turn from your sin and believe the good news, friends. Jesus gave his life for you and he lives. He rose again from the dead. He lives forevermore. You know, a few weeks after I started working at FedEx, uh, a package I received ended up missing. It happened to be a diamond engagement ring, and uh, the groom was frantic about getting this to his soon-to-be bride. Spencer, my manager, simply asked me about this. I told him I didn't know. I don't remember receiving the package, and I didn't do, you know, I didn't steal it, basically, Spence, you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, but he could have used his authority to punish me in some way. I was the last one to touch the passage. I was the last one to sca- scan the package. Uh for all I know, he could have, you know, probably fired me. But he didn't. He, he used his good authority for my good. And friends, Jesus holds his good authority over everything. So placing yourself under that good authority is the safest place in the world that you can be. Like the Sanhedrin, you may have questions, but when he provides the answer to your questions, submit to his good authority. And when you do, he will not withhold from you any good thing. He will use his authority for your good. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would finish this message in our hearts. Apply it in all of the ways that we need to. We, we need to apply the gospel in every area of our lives. And we're asking for help to do that. Please, let us submit to your good authority. Let us, God, those of us who have the wrong view of what authority is, would you change our minds by allowing us to cast our gaze on Jesus, who is good and uses his authority for our good. We pray in Christ's name.